Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery available in Regina at sassbeerdelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the internet's only college meat judging podcast. I am Joel Gass, and joined this week by the one, the only, uh, the CBC's Dan Plaster, as uh, the usual John Frazier has apparently decided that it's important to spend time with family away this week or something. You Go K-State! Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, we obviously have uh, a number of things to get to, as uh, the Riders, uh, they got their asses kicked by the Montreal Alouettes this past oh. week. Um, John seems to believe it's time to panic. Uh, we're going to get into whether that's that's true or not of course uh we'll talk a little bit about the injury to Shaq Evans and what that means to this team once again going forward as they uh, go through that for the second year in a row and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the biggest story right now in the CFL and for once it's a positive story and that's the uh the play of one Nathan Rourke out on the west coast and uh you know it's fun it's a fun maybe with a little bit of an asterisk at this point but it is yet still fun and should be celebrated as such of course but before we get to all that, we have a, a little bit of fun to talk about here as well. <laughs> um, I know we, you know, John and I have talked a lot about college athletics on this podcast lately because what's not to love? It is the dumbest, weirdest area of sports, especially in North America, especially in the United States. And um, our friends, or I guess, you know, people that we enjoy over at the Sickos Committee on Twitter, who you should follow, especially if you enjoy college football. Um, put out a tweet the other day with all the NCAA D1 championships were, of course, posted by the Reddit College Football account. So that was like all the actual Division One sanctioned NCAA events. Apparently, there's a whole world of non-sanctioned NCAA events that a lot of us weren't really aware of. And I really would like to know more about some of these. <laughs> you know, when you sent... <sighs> I... I... I think the first thing we, we yeah, well, you just let it go. When we start off with the meat judging and K State, how Texas doesn't win again, we can't, we don't know, folks. Texas, they should win barbecuing. Is it okay? Did you look into what meat judging was? I didn't actually look into what it was. Like I, I don't know if it's like cooked meat judging <laughs> or, or if it's like butchering judging. That is a beautiful cut of oh gosh. It's a beautiful cut of meat. Yeah, it says the meat judging team. So this is the team at Texas Tech, which is apparently like the best in the nation at this or something. Okay. Uh, the meat judging team is compromised predominantly of sophomore and junior students who are interested in developing their knowledge of the meat industry. It is open to students of any major because of course it is. Uh, so apparently Texas Tech has 16 national championships. Uh, so yeah, it's looks like they it's judged on sort of the quality of the meat cuts in deals 
almost so like feet. you're you're like a pro butcher. Yeah, basically the butchering oh. of meat, not necessarily the cooking of meat, because that's an entirely different thing, right? So it's you know the quality and retail meat cuts deals with the palatability. That's a big word. Characteristics of tenderness, flavor, and juiciness. And you know that just by looking at it, and the visual quality of the cut. So you're not you're a swordsman of sorts. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's basically judging. You know, you're basically looking at people who want to become butchers. I guess. Nice. And I mean, of course, there are parts of the United States where. Yeah, of course, this would be a thing that you could basically do at college. It's not its not necessarily a major. Like, I don't think it's a major at any of the schools, but it is, of course, an event that you can partake in and learn more about meat and cows. And I assume other animals, too. I assume it's not just cows. I'm sure there's other meat involved in this as well. At Lethbridge, Lethbridge Community College, I don't know if they had it, have it now, but they actually had a two-year butchery school, like where you learn to be a butcher. I believe great. that, yeah. And then, as a as a poor student, all the all, all of the grade F meat was always gone to like the student grocery store. You're like, what is that? Don't know. Three dollars. <laughs> so it, it is a thing. At that's great. And yeah. ESPN Plus, here I come. <laughs> if we could just get ESPN Plus in Canada, I'm sure we could actually access some of these sports because surely they're on some community access channel somewhere that ESPN Plus would be willing to pick up, right? How is that not a Food Network thing? Yeah, I don't know. Great. Sorry, we're going way too deep. (laughs) What really surprised me is that some of these sports weren't. Like, apparently, for some reason, aren't part of, like, the full-on NCAA arsenal. Like, we were talking about, like, snowboarding appears to be on here, but skiing isn't. So, like, skiing's a real sport according to the NCAA, but snowboarding isn't. Which is weird. Well, you... We talked about boxing. Boxing, yeah. yeah. Of course, someone made the comment that, of course, the you know the service academies were the winners of boxing because Army won the men's boxing and Navy won the women's boxing. Read, read that as you will. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> but what I do love is the two real nerdy ones, drone racing and quiz bowl, both mm. won by Georgia Tech. Of course. Not running the option. No. Yeah, no, they haven't had to come out of running the option on that one. Nope. I do wish there was access to NCAA handball because one of my favorite things whenever the Summer Olympics come around every year, every four years, is actually the handball. The rest of the rest of the Summer Olympics I'm not super interested in, but the handball is just always mesmerizing for me to watch because it's like this perfect mixture of like basketball, volleyball, and, you know, a few sports mixed into one, and it's just fun to watch. So I can only imagine having a bunch of, like, 19-year-olds playing it would just make it even more chaotic and fun because that seems to be the rule that applies to basically every sport. (laughs) Like, handball looks like the crazy sport you and your friends or us and our friends would make up in our backyard Mm -hmm. with two hockey nets and a Nerf ball. Yeah. And it just turns into that. Yeah, it just seems like – yeah, I agree. I I enjoy watching it, too. It's one of the few things I do enjoy about watching in the Olympics. Bit of a surprise one to me is actually maybe Mizzou winning disc golf. Like, I didn't know there would be enough hipsters playing disc golf in Missouri. In Missouri, yeah. Well, Missouri's, mm, yeah. West Virginia and cricket, that's an... Mm, Apparently would, they're a dynasty. Would... Someone was asking about that. I saw in the replies. Apparently they've won, like, a bunch of them at cricket. So there must be a strong English or East Indian student body that goes to that school, or both, maybe. So just in summary, if you go to a, a U Sports school, this would be your intramurals? Not even... I don't know. No, this is above. This is some weird, like, 
clearly there are competitions regionally, nationally, whatever, on some sort of level that exist between these schools, but isn't that like an NCAA sanctioned event? It just says non-NCAA national championships, which is a very strange thing to me that these schools would be spending money on sending people out to places and it's not an official NCAA event. Well, I mean, but that goes back to even like Utah climbing. Well, no kidding. It's just, (laughs) but there's, there's some logos. I don't even know like who wants surfing. It better be Hawaii somewhere in Hawaii or something like that. Air force wants snowboarding. Yeah. Isn't isn't the air force in Colorado and Denver? Yeah. Colorado Springs. So they should be, they should win. You would figure bass fishing should be an NCAA sport. Like, come on now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's on like TV regularly. People watch it. There's that one crazy guy, isn't there? That's like super famous in fishing. Oh, I forget I his name. Yeah. But he's some weirdo. But you're right. But in summary, that goes with all of the. You always think of the Stanford's and all the Olympic sports and how some of them are and some of them aren't. It's just mind boggling. Mm-hmm. But folks, go look it up. You'll spend an hour on the internet. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Every everything really in terms of what the NCAA does, at least on terms of like the the on court field playing surface product can be the the governing body in the leagues themselves well be that so that's another discussion corruption's fun <laughs> it's good for the sport that's what that u sports needs is some corruption in football let's make it some fun. bag man let's go absolutely u sports can just be can be too boring sometimes the only controversy they have is they can't seem to pick a name oh yeah let's not even start with that that's just yeah within our lifetime there shouldn't be three names like you said no no, yeah, in my lifetime it's been CIAU, CIS, and now U Sports, and who knows what it'll be in a few years. You. <laughs> and then Miami's going to come for him. <laughs> Jeez. So yeah, the Riders, of course, they, uh, no one came for them this week as they, uh, they took a beating in Montreal, as they tend to do from time to time, and we'll get into reasons as to why that happened. Uh, talk about the injury to Shaq Evans and uh, the play of Nathan Rourke to date. But before all that, as usual, before we get to that, uh, Dan, I almost said John there, for the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, what is in the glass this week? I'm having bourbon. That sounds about right, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) You were worried about coming on here with the wrong beer, so you just picked bourbon, didn't you? I just picked something. (laughs) Hey, it's brown. It doesn't have any fizz to it. It's brown, and I have to sip it carefully, or we could get sideways very, very fast. Yeah, that's okay. John drinks vodka all the time on here, but I don't think he drinks it slowly. So (laughs) (laughs) I understand by listening to some of them. Go, John. Uh, Fair enough for me. I was at Rebellion last week, picked up some of their new Brave Noise Pale Ale, Uh, kind of a hazy, drier uh, pale ale, not quite on the hoppy side like some New England IPAs. Uh, What's good about it, it is uh, part of a collaboration with uh, proceeds all being donated to the Saskatchewan Sexual Assault Services which uh, seems extra pointed right now, given uh, some of the things going on in the world of uh, Canadian sports that really don't relate to this podcast, but are, are definitely happening and uh, definitely should be talked about by those who should be talking about them. Yep. That being Hockey Canada, of course, if you're not connecting the dots there. <laughs> I'm not connecting. The... When, when the 200 hockey men even <clears throat> stay away from it, you know it's bad. Yeah. Uh, just like the writers were bad last week on Thursday against the Montreal Alouettes. And um, didn't that reek of like back 
10, 15 years ago where they wouldn't go a day early and they would just get drubbed every time. They would have the, the Alouette flu yeah. after probably staying out a little too late in one of the best cities in the world. <laughs> that had a lot of the feels of that last week, but I guess the short week was probably more indicative of the, of the loss than... Yeah. Yeah, I mean... You know it's going to be a bad day when the opening kickoff gets returned. That's usually like a sign, especially in the CFL where, okay, we see the odd pun return, but we definitely don't really see a ton of kickoff returns. Uh, at least return to the house, at least something I there's good returns. But <clears throat> when that happens, that's generally not a sign of good things to come, especially when, yeah, you mentioned that they had a short week. And I think it's just compounded on a few different levels for them. They had the short week. On top of that, the Alouettes had the full week. So they went from Thursday to Thursday. The Riders went from Saturday to Thursday. And as you said, in the past, you know, strange things just tend to add up in Montreal. So you throw it all together. And for me, and that's why I didn't pick them this week, if you, I, you know, I put it in the link on 3downation.com that uh, I did not expect the Riders to win that game at all. Um, I didn't expect them really to lose that badly. But uh, the fact that they lost did not come as a surprise to me. And despite what... The usual co-host of this fine program, John Fraser, would say he's he's feeling a little worried. He felt a little panicked after it. But for me, I'm like, nah. I mean, it happens sometimes. It's a long season. It's, you know, you hate to use it. It's not really truly an excuse. You still got to show up and play. But at the end of the day, these are things that have to be taken into consideration over the course of a football season. And a short week, not necessarily the last the lack of practice time. It was more so just the body didn't really have enough time to fully recover and mentally, you know, kind of turn the whole thing around on a short week like that, especially after what turned out to be a fairly tough game in Edmonton. And it's just, and they haven't really had to do this in a few years. No. Like just a full grind training camp, full grind everything. And it just kind of all ended up here all at once. And this is a team that seems to know it's going to be 11 and seven or 12 and six. They're going to lose some, tough games and they're going to lose two or three incredibly stupid just stupid stupid games and then one or two like this that they're just going to be they know it's not in there we're just going to get our reps in and get out i mean the effort was there yeah but just it just when things start sliding you just can't you're chasing and they just started to chase and it's just what happens i mean you could tell cody fajardo was chasing it he was trying to do I shouldn't say too much because that's what he he's there to do is to do as much as he can and maybe extra, but it just, he was in full chase mode trying to get a new offensive line together. It was just, yeah, compacted upon compacted, but I do not panic. I mean, no. John can panic all he wants. Philly boots don't care, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, this is they're They're going to come out on Saturday and good crowd, good weather, good team i think it's it will might not quite the opposite but they'll do the usual pull out the 11 12 13 point win yeah and i think you know you talk about cody fajaro getting caught right around a bit i think we forgot to mention the fact that they were starting a rookie yet or i guess a second year player but really his first start really a true kind of rookie essentially at center after the loss of don dan clark which is not only you know a loss in terms of playing ability but just general morale and leadership and the whole thing that we talk about otherwise you know in terms of locker room stuff and how much you know john and i talked about it last week how much dan clark means to this team now beyond just being their starting center he is clearly a leader an important figure in the entire culture of the team right now and to you know lose that on a short week just sort of makes it even tougher and i think 
on the playing field side, you saw that with Cody Fajardo a bit because, I mean, Montreal's not exactly known so far this year as being a sack master team, but they were getting in there as it looked like the O-line just wasn't quite there yet, and that's probably another, you know, another thing with the short week and only having really one practice together with this group was, all right, well, good luck, I guess. And center's so hard because you're not just like, yes, you talked about Dan and all of the, the, the things he means to the football club as even the last remaining member of the 2013 Grey Cup champion team. Mm-hmm. But yes, he, he has to block some of the best interior guys in the league, but he also has to call out line signals. Yeah. And when you, especially when Logan Bandy, this is, as you said, his first ever start, going to be a stunt. Great player out of the University of Calgary. He's going to be a solid football player, but to lay that on his shoulders, that was a pure sink or swim thing. So, I mean, nowhere to go but up. But center is really, really tough to get thrown into. And, and I don't I don't know how complicated the line calls are in a Jason Moss offense. I don't know what the real true like zone read calls that he has to make. Uh, it, it, it's a big part of the game. And when you have to think as well as play – Man, I can't even think and walk half the time. <laughs> think and play, especially at center. Man, that's good for Logan, man. That was just put into the frying pan, and he did well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible that they may have, you know, shifted those responsibilities maybe to an Evan Johnson or something for the game, at least. We don't know. But, yeah, certainly that's a lot to ask of a guy making his first start, especially on the road where it's going to be a bit of a hostile environment. And then when things start to spiral, as they did in that game, it's just, it's just so hard to get it back on track. And, you know, I, th- I think had the Riders won that game, you know, it would have said a lot about this team and maybe how much potential they had to overcome sort of the mountain of obstacles that were in front of them. The fact that they got their ass kicked is maybe a little concerning compared to maybe just losing sort of a normal game. But as you said, I think sort of the one positive to take from it, and I, well, two, I guess, number one, Cody Pichardo seemingly didn't get hurt, at least to the point where he can't play. He did take the one shot where he looked a little uncomfortable after but that tends to happen throughout the course of a game and number two yeah like they didn't as bad as things went as unfortunate as a lot of things sort of went for them it was also you know they fought you could tell that they were Mm -hmm. trying yeah it was just one of those games where things just didn't go their way they didn't nest they didn't fold up the tent maybe until like you know really late in the fourth quarter and at that point you can't really blame them for it but overall you saw the fight there. You saw a team that was trying to put it together to make it work. And it just wasn't their day. And that happened. Had they completely folded in the first quarter, then you're like, okay, losses happen, but the way you lost this game now is suddenly concerning if this is what's going to happen to you in the face of adversity. Yeah, and they and they fought right to the end. And sometimes, you know what? This might even be pretty good to even have Mason Fine get in a full quarter of real live action. I mean, yeah. there's always some positives to get into this. Uh, like we even go back to, to Logan Bandy. Sure, they lost, but you know what? He has a full game under his belt now, and now he gets to have home sweet home and see the same team. And the tape is going to be the same. It's it's It, it just it will be a lot different on Saturday. Yeah. And I think you and I were talking about that on the week going in where our thought was, okay, they, they were probably going to lose that game and then they'd come back and probably look pretty good and beat Mm -hmm. Montreal fairly handily this week. So uh, I may have just spoiled my pick on three donation.com, but I don't think there's, there's much of a surprise there. And it's just funny to me when, how a lot of people don't really 
take that kind of stuff into consideration going into a week. Like I think I don't have the exact numbers, but it felt like 80 to 90% of the, you know, panels that do picks across this league on various platforms all had the riders. And I'm like, are you you guys paying attention? Like, do you not, how long have you been watching football? This is this, you know, it's not a slide against the riders or, you know, pumping up the Alouettes in any sort of way. It's just like a, it's just the fact of these things tend to happen. (laughs) And especially like you said, the short week versus long week, that is just the most simplest of math. Mm-hmm. You could just go it's, down. it's essentially like the East Coast team going to BC. Like everyone seems to yeah. have wrapped their head around an East Division team going to BC to play the late game, and they expect none of them ever to win. Even when Hamilton's like fourteen or no, they're like, "Oh, BC's going to win that game." Yeah, right. <laughs> so they've wrapped their head around that one, but there's still the conversation of when a good team goes to play, you know, when average to bad team on a short week versus a long week, they still expect for some reason the good team to be really good. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and especially a little bit of travel. It's, I mean, they're lucky they can charter now. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a good thing. But, and Montreal, like I said, it's never, it doesn't matter how bad Montreal is. Mm-hmm. That's a hard place to play. It's just everything. You and I have both been there. We've both yeah. seen games there. It even, I mean, you and I have the luxury of walking from downtown Montreal to Percival Molson Stadium. I do and, remember, I think it's on the way there, you do have to walk up a pretty steep hill. So yeah, but we're, so we're, there is that. Peak athletes, Joel. Oh yeah, it's, definitely. It's easy for us. Like it's not even break a win. <laughs> yeah, I, I, def- I definitely win. wasn't like fifty pounds heavier than than I was now. <laughs> but it was just it was Montreal in the fall. It was beautiful, but no. Um, and then you get it, then they get such a luxurious locker room there, you know. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what? Since old Ivor Wynn left, that is this. Disgusting. And, and next, I haven't been in the Alouettes locker room, but I imagine it's not actually much better. <laughs> no. McMahon ain't great either. No, I, I've been. I've been in that one. At least there's space in McMahon's visiting stadium, <laughs> visiting <Yes>. locker room. <laughs> but McMahon has those old school 1970s mesh wire lockers. Yep. Folks, if you ever see an old 1970s football movie and see the lockers, that's what McMahon Stadium looks like. Don't overthink it. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't all... You know, there was some good news to come out of the game, but there was, I think, one sort of more significant piece of bad news, and that was, of course, the injury to receiver Shaq Evans. And, you know, they went through this last year with him again. This year they have Duke Williams kind of to fall back on it a bit to kind of help, you know, lead the offense. And I think we saw against Edmonton sort of when he's not in the lineup, what a difference that makes to the overall offensive game plan and what they're able to do. But this year especially, it seems very, you know, concerning that Shaq Evans won't be available for Cody Fajardo for the next six to eight weeks, they're saying, because through the first couple of games, it looked like they had kind of refound that connection a little bit that they had in 2019, and that maybe that would help, you know, bring things to another level for this offense again. But now, to me, at least without him, and just Duke Williams and, you know, a bunch of other guys, and, you know, you know Keon Schaefer-Baker, some other guys are going to have a chance to step up, and that's great. But it still feels like, you know, Kyron Moore is still already injured. It's like okay, they're kind of back to square one with this whole thing again. And Shaq Evans has always been his favorite receiver since day one that Cody Fajardo showed up here. Mm-hmm. It When he had that great first season with the Saskatchewan Ruffers, it was Shaq Evans that had his breakout season as well. So that is his, his security blanket has always been Shaq Evans. And I think, yes, on the field it hurts, but I think it hurts Cody mentally too that he doesn't have his guy there. Like he's his guy. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. 
Yes, more Schaefer Baker. Williams, he'll start getting more familiar with. The emergence of Mitch Pickton kind of a little bit getting involved in the offense as well. And hopefully some, you know, tight end fullbacks. Always fullbacks. Always tight end fullbacks. More of it, please. Um, but yes, the, 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 not just his production, it's his security blanket mm-hmm. that's kind of gone here. Yeah, and what I found really interesting was uh, asked about a Craig Dickinson, sort of where they're going to go with this. Um, so they, of course, they tried out, you know, the usual couple of Americans, no, most notably like Tevin Jones was there a little bit. So we might see sort of some guys getting a chance there, but he didn't close the door on changing the ratio and bringing in a third Canadian receiver to sort of fill the gap as well. And John and I had talked about this at the start of the season that if you look at the roster overall, because I hadn't deeply done it before the season started, quite frankly, um, they actually have, like, the way the the roster was set up, they were in a pretty good spot with the ratio at receiver, where if they really wanted to, yeah, they could just roll out three Canadian receivers. When you look at, you know, they have Keon Schaefer-Baker, you mentioned Mitch Pickton, Justin McInnes is still here, Jake Hardy's apparently still here, you know, Samuel Amelis is here. So, I mean, there's lots of options where they could easily you know, make that switch there and maybe, you know, secure some American depth elsewhere if possible or just run extra Canadian depth because, yeah, the American receiver depth isn't super deep. You know, especially, you know, there's Shaq Evans is out now, so you're looking at Duke Williams and Jacob Prawl, and it's like, okay. <laughs> that's that's a <clears throat> steep drop. Yeah, and that's no offense at all to Prawl, who's made a couple of nice catches, but he's you know, not quite, he has just kind of been here a little bit you know he's been here for a cup of coffee so it's hard to rely on him all that much just yet but yeah like we could be in a situation where maybe the best option for this team at receiver without jack evans right now might be to sort of in a way bring back you know a lighter version of the canadian air force it might be a good thing but then you just kind of go with who what so that what kind of stuff like what what things does that open up for you especially defensively mm-hmm. i mean where do you put your american like that's the fun part of it all yeah and i think you know i think there could be options in the secondary i don't think nelson the combos look that great yet i mean i you know i give them a lot of props for trying to keep you know extra canadians on the defensive side of the ball right now but yeah maybe you just leave a mike edam in the secondary is the only canadian on defense right now right at least well, until yeah. if Micah Tights returns, and obviously he makes his way into the linebacker rotation, and that helps a lot. But you know, maybe there's the change there. I don't know because the secondary at times, it's certainly noticed that they've had to make some changes there for the first time in a couple of years because it hasn't looked quite as strong as it did in last year. Well, it's funny how you you can almost name them automatically with Purifoy and Gainey and Marshall, and it's just you you're mm. you're kind of used to that. Um, Purifoy have a great season so far in BC. Good to see him continue to to bring it with the Lions. But to, with Marshall being the only true American veteran back there, Mike Adam, yeah, you said he really has to do a lot of the the work back there. So yeah, maybe an American corner would be where you go. I mean, the the defense, the the front seven, which has been lights out, is all American, and that is a gross front seven. How good they are! Mm-hmm. No real, no real need to deal with anything there. But yeah, I think you're right. It would be, it would be secondary help would be the 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 simplest thing. And I think that's it might be something worth looking into at this point, because they they have given up a number of 
big plays in the secondary this year. There's been a lot of chunk plays given up on them so far. And, you know, one of them, some of them being at least on, you know, quick glance without knowing exactly how the play was supposed to develop again. You know, you talk about Nick Marshall being, you know, the veteran and I guess sort of the leader of the group now. He's been prone sort of that boomer bust kind of lifestyle where, okay, yeah, he might make two interceptions in a game, but he also might give up a really long touchdown. So, <laughs> But it's tough. There's no corner on the practice roster. There's none yeah. on the one-game injured list. This would be somebody fresh in. So I don't think if that happens, they'll go with the Air Force. That wouldn't be yeah. it. So I think you're right. You're just They're just going to stick with American receiver. They'll bring in half prawl or or have him come in and, and uh, was it Tevin Jones you said? And yeah. then there's a yeah, few other names like they can yeah, look Wesley, at. Off the Wesley Lewis is Canadian though, so it's yeah. At least there's there's options at receiver, which you yes. Yeah. There's always options, and you can always rotate guys around. And maybe maybe the the best option ends up being Canadian. You just add an extra Canadian on the field, which is never bad in case one of your starting Canadians get hurt as well, right? Always like, a good option. That's never a bad thing. Or maybe worst comes to worst, AC Leonard was a receiver at one point. Ah, <laughs> yes, he was. He a tight end, or is he a straight up receiver? I don't remember. I mean, he's big enough that you would think he might have been a tight end, but we know those positions aren't properly used in the CFL. So, and he was at a HBCU school, Tennessee State. Yeah, he could he could have played both ways. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because it was was it was it Ottawa that converted him, or was it Jones that converted him to defensive line? It was Jones. Had to have been Jones. He's the only yeah. one to do something like that. We, yeah. I don't want to give him credit. <laughs> I mean, he's made some weird flops, but if he made that one, then that was one that's pretty hard to argue with and definitely worked out. <laughs> yep. Uh, one decision that does seem to be working out so far as we sort of shift our focus to the rest of the CFL right now is uh, BC's decision to go with uh, Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke as their guy this year. Um, it's worked on a couple of levels. Number one, he's obviously been very good. And number two, like on his own, he's been very good. And number two, um, I think from a salary cap perspective, it was a brilliant move, especially given the options that were probably available to him. But uh, yeah, the kid's definitely a story right now uh, in the CFL. I wish he were a bit of a bigger story in sports across this country right now, considering uh, what he's been able to do through two games with the BC Lions. I think especially last week against Toronto, where he put up uh, just numbers we have not seen from a Canadian quarterback in, in quite some time. I absolutely this is this is the biggest story full stop in the CFL in the last well other than the pandemic but the most positive favorite best amazing story is Nathan Rourke and you're right he should be on whatever the Canadian Wheaties version Shreddy Shreddy <laughs> Shreddy's your Canadian I'm Shreddy's you're now you're you're on a Shreddy's box um I mean, yes, it's only two games, but man, this is so good. Mm-hmm. And like the right kid to do it. And to, and just even the pedigree of being so good at Ohio and yeah. bringing that team back to prominence, winning a couple of bowl games. Was it Frank Solich making him look good again? That's hard to do. Um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's I, other than the Ryder games, mm-hmm. I'm watching him. Well, and, and it I, seems, and I rarely say, I rarely say that for for a player. I, I rarely yeah. say I'm watching a player, but I am tuning in for Nathan Rourke. And it seems you're not alone on this. Now, granted, the Ryder game being a blowout certainly helped, but uh, the Toronto BC game narrowly, but was the most viewed game of the week on TSN during Week Three. Love it. 
Yeah, but it averaged market f- like that. Let's go. Yeah, so it averaged four hundred sixty-four thousand five hundred out of the Ryder game. Of course, five thirty on a Thursday, not exactly uh, the best starting time for Ryder Nation. As someone who get off gets off work early on Thursdays, I loved it. Uh, four hundred forty-two thousand six hundred average, so uh, slightly higher for the Ar- for the Argo BC game. But of course, in but both were a blowout, so it's important to note that yes, okay, Ryder Nation maybe tuned out a bit on their blowout, but. Uh, you know, BC obviously laid the bricks to Toronto even worse. And uh, a few more people stuck through that one, probably because of the play of one Nathan Work. Because, of course, he uh, completed 86.7% of his passes for 436 yards and four touchdowns. More. Like, how many... Uh, we talked about... We've talked... Like, many of us have talked about this at length over the last number of years of how many 400-yard passers there have been in the CFL. You could probably count it on, you know, half a hand. And... The last guy to do it now with any prominence is Canadian. And it's interesting that now the discussion isn't so much, well, how great is this guy being for the CFL, but now the rumblings are, is the NFL going to notice this kid? Um, Not yet. I, I think he's going to have a few seasons. He's still... Yeah. I, I, I always say he's slight, because what is he, 6'1", 200 type of thing. But he, he has NCAA pedigree. He has... Mm-hmm. This is... This is this is not your typical Canadian quarterback. This is a guy that played three years at Ohio that went to, he took the hard route by going to uh, prep school in the U S community college in the U S he had a mission and he, he took this, this like he is a Canadian that is very hard scrabbled American trained quarterback. So, I yes, there is that out there, but you know what? I'm not worried about this year. I wouldn't even be worried about next year. No, no, probably not. I, That's it soon. But drink, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're the CFL, you're obviously hoping this kid, you know, plays another 20 years at this sort of this sort of the rate and becomes the star of the league and rejuvenates, especially a market like Vancouver. But yeah, the, I guess the other side of the coin is if he does so well, you know, in three years, is he is he taken from the league? Is sort of the question of sort of the world that's become the CFL now. He will give it a shot, mm-hmm. and and so he should. But I'm just thinking about how our favorite Toronto sports network that has the Canadian football rights, they love storylines. And if they don't put all 12 or their dozen eggs in on this, mm. that's just stupid. Well, what I was surprised even to see, because, I mean, it hasn't got tons of national play from what I've watched, but... It had it did cause Steve Simmons to talk about the CFL once after his pregame thing. I saw oh, some boy. tweets from the CFL news where Steve Simmons was even talking about Nathan Ork. So I mean that's that's a positive, right? And that's oh. if he can keep this up, this is a story that should hopefully only build because this is a league that is in, has been in desperate need for so long for a really good feel, good story, and. It really makes it easy to pull for the BC Lions. Like, I'm not saying that I want them to win the Great Cup or anything, as awesome as that would be for Nathan Work and his family and the league and all that. But if they stay competitive all year and if they can make a playoff game with him there, I expect that to be sort of a big moment for this league that they badly need. They, oh gosh, so badly need it. And and I just found out a little stat of him. You know why he's so great? 2019 Peyton Passing Academy counselor. That's why it's awesome. <laughs> Maybe he'll make an appearance on uh, Peyton and Eli this year. Oh, uh, you know what? If he keeps playing like that, why not? Yeah. Like uh, uh, the, you, 
crazy things happen like that. So you know what? Just I, I, I sure hope it does something crazy like that. So I don't know. I, I was just trying to look through his stats, and I can't find anything. Hold on. One more. His Got to love research on the fly. His, <laughs> his highest passing game was October 19th, 2019. Would he be in senior in 2020? There was no season in 2020. He only had 342 yards against Kent State, so this might have been his best ever as a collegiate or pro. That's insane. Insane. That's absolutely insane. Like, especially, you know, especially when you consider like a lot of really good quarterbacks that come out of college at any level, they generally have that game against you know sort of the dog school where they put up like 500 yards and get pulled at the half kind of thing, right? Especially in the MAC, you're playing. Kent and Akron and Marshall. Do they and would they get like the equivalent of Alabama playing an FCS team? Like, do they have those kind of games on their schedules where they would play like a D two or something? Like the Sisters of the Poor. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they would. They would probably play a D two like Walford or. Well, you wouldn't book NDSU because it's stupid. So well, they're uh, FCS, not even true D two. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, sure, uh, but yeah. it, they, you know what, they have, I'm just looking at this year, they have an FCS in Fordham, and they have, that's their only FCS game. They have a grind this year. They have Ohio, They have Iowa State and Penn State, so good luck, Ohio. <laughs> so They, they don't, might need Nathan Rourke back for those ones. <laughs> well, they got his brother there, so Curtis is the quarterback at Ohio. But yeah, that Ohio, the MAC cannot, they take those paycheck games from the big, uh, power five schools they're in that kind of area of no, things so so they can't they can't give jackson state five hundred thousand dollars to come to wherever in ohio ohio is no but now that there's a cfl connection though maybe they can uh convince incarnate word and gj kenny to come play them <laughs> that is so good head coach love it now we're going deep yeah we're going way too deep at this point it's probably uh Probably about time to call out at that point before we go down uh, any deeper of a rabbit hole. So, uh... but sticking with obscure Division two schools, mm-hmm. that great note that UBC and Simon Fraser are playing this year in the Shroom yes. Bowl, I love it. Yeah, so I mean, BC football, I guess uh, apparently it's on a roll right now. Keep going. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. 
Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.